of that song. So the question obviously is, is it well with your soul? Well, not so much right now. I don't have a Bible. Yeah, I have one, but I think I would rather have that one. That one. I need a microscope with any of that. Do you hear that? <coughs> I hate that. I'm gonna fix that this week. <laughs> yes, but not from me. Don't worry, she does. She, uh, she's. Huh? Well, should I just take a break for a minute and let y'all finish? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have got to look at this. And make sure. For me, can you still hear me? Praise the Lord. Well, last week we uh, we did a message on First Corinthians chapter one, and uh, as I was reading through First Corinthians, uh, I'm not going to mention the uh, calamity that I had with the printer uh, last week, but wound up widening up my message and throwing it under the pulpit, and I appreciate the kind words that you gave me, Brother Paul. He, uh, <laughs> he texts me and says, Brother, I just want you to know that that was the best message I've heard you preach, and I don't remember whether you said it a long time or forever. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take that as a compliment, amen, and, and uh, not... I'm sorry? What's the rest of that text? What did it say? Maybe you should throw away the notes more often. So I have taken your advice. And uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 6. And what I really want to talk to you about is, is the end of this chapter. But we're going to, we're going to begin in, uh, in, in verse 1 and go all the way through that chapter because there are some things that I believe that God has to say to me first. I believe He's already spoken pretty much to me through this from the time that I've been studying it through the week. But I think that he has some things that he also wants to share with the congregation. And uh, verse 1 reads like this. It says, Do any of you have 
have a matter against another. And now that by another, what we're talking about is another brother. Uh, we're not talking about somebody that's out in the world that is lost, that is separated from God and separated from the house of God and the people of God, the will of God, the way of God. We're not talking about the heathens or the, the unbelievers of the world, but we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. You do realize that this is Paul the Apostle that is writing, and he's writing to the church of Corinth. And he realizes that there are multiple issues, multiple problems that are going on inside the body of Christ. A lot of times, we as Christians, we want to look down our long religious nose at the world around us and point a finger at the woke crowd and the, you know, whatever the flavor of the month crowd uh, is going on in the world today and find fault with everybody else's sin you hear me say sometimes, sin in others, this I see. But thank the Lord, there's none in me, right? Well, wrong. That is, that is not true. Certainly, we should look introspectively first. The Bible says that we should get the beam out of our own eye. That's like a cross tie. Before we get the moat, that's like a speck of sawdust out of our brother's eye. So, and uh, not only our brother in the church, but certainly all of those that are outside of the church as well. God's going to judge them one day. But we are supposed to take care of the things on the inside of the church. And it says, Dare any of you, having a matter against a brother, go to law or go to court before the unjust and not before the saints. In other words, why in the world would you want to take a matter of Christianity or between Christian brothers and sisters in Christ and carry it outside of the church to the legal system of unbelievers? To the unjust. Why do you go to law before those who have not received justification by grace through faith to look for justice in your lives between brothers and sisters. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, you know and I know that the world knows the verse that says, Judge not lest ye be judged. Everybody in the church and out of the church, if they don't know any other scriptures, from the, from the Bible, they, they know uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they also know the verse that says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And what they want to do is point a finger at those who are in the church, judging those who are without the church. But we realize here, we have not only been giving the right but we've been giving the authority to judge. You look again at verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? That is the lost world. Those are that are outside of Christ. And if you shall judge the world, or the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that we shall judge angels. So we're not only going to judge those that are without the church in the worldly sphere, but we're going to judge those that are outside of the church in the heavenly sphere, and especially those that have been cast out of 
the heavenly sphere. When it talks about angels here, it's not only talking about those that are still in heaven, but those who were cast out. Now it goes on to say, how much more shall we judge the things that pertain to this life? God has given us as the people of God, as the church, as brothers and sisters, children of God, the authority as well as the permission to judge the things of heaven and of earth. I speak to your shame. Now what does he mean? He's saying, it is, is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one wise that shall be able to judge between his brothers so that brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another outside of the church. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded or used or abused. Now what he is saying is that instead of going outside of the church and going to the legal system of the world, which are unjust justices, they are judges that one day will stand before God and be judged according to the Word of God by those who have bent the knee and bowed their head and surrendered their hearts and lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you can't find somebody in the church that is worthy to judge the things that are going on inside of the church, then give it to the least esteemed. Now what that means is to the newest brother or sister in Christ. It doesn't matter if they just came in the church today. They've been coming for the past week, two weeks, months, two months. Maybe a year. They bend the knee, bowed the head, surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and got saved yesterday and joined the church. They've been coming. Now God convicts them, eliminates, regenerates, saves their soul. They become a part of the body of Christ. Use that person to be the judge of things that are going on between brothers and sisters of Christ. Well, that sounds insanity. But it's not as insane is going outside of Christianity altogether and using a corrupt legal system with judges that are sitting on benches that are making determinations between brothers and sisters of Christ concerning spiritual things that are spiritually dead. At least that guy is a Christian. It's not hard to understand what Paul is saying. That we as brothers and sisters in Christ have absolutely no business engaging our lives in the things of this corrupt system of the world. It goes on in verse 7 to say, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather uh, suffer yourselves to be frauded? It is better for you not to have judgment at all in a matter. For you just to raise your hand and say, Hey, I love you. Take what you will. Take what you want. Do, do your best. I mean, you just do what you think is right. And I surrender. Mea culpa. But boy, I tell you what, it's hard to find that attitude in the world today, even in the Christian world. Because we want what we want, and we want what we want when we want it. And we want it now, and we want it to go our way that we might not be defrauded as the bible says but in verse 8 it says oh no 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 you'll not do that no you you do wrong and defraud 
and that your brethren. Rather than allow yourself to be defrauded, you would rather defraud your brother. So we'll go to corrupt people to get our way rather than either going to saintly people or just surrendering our rights. Verse 9 says, Know know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Now I want you to understand something. This, This verse is a verse that is very special to me i almost said near and dear to my heart but that's that's not i mean because it's the word of god it is that but but this word opened up some understanding in my mind back after my mother passed of course my mother was an alcoholic and she was uh drunk walking down the road at two o'clock in the morning and got hit by a car and, and was uh tragically killed at 58 years old and uh, that broke my heart, and it still breaks my heart, but especially when I understand what this verse, when I finally uh, read this verse and understood what it meant. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, neither idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That is the woke crowd of today. Neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. And what we're talking about here is people who are living a habitual lifestyle of these things. Not that you may be guilty at some time or another, or have been guilty at some time or another in the past, and may still be guilty of this sometime or another in the future. But we're talking about people who are living a lifestyle of this. Nay, you do wrong and defraud, verse 8, your brethren. And people who are living a habitual lifestyle that, that says, I want what I want when I want it, and I'll take you to court to take it if I have to. And that if I want to be a fornicator or an idolater or an adulterer or an effeminate, an abuser of myself with mankind or a thief or covetous or a drunkard or a reviler or an extortioner, that I can do what I want to when I want to. And God will still love me just like I am. My friend, I want you to realize that the Bible says here, not so. Not so. For nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now that means that people who are living this habitual lifestyle and refuse to repent or to surrender or submit their desires, their wants, their thoughts of what is right and what they deserve and receive to themselves rather than to their brethren to be defrauded. Well, I don't think it's right that that I'm not getting what is right. So I'll do whatever I think is right to get what I think is right. When all the time, the whole attitude is wrong. And we're robbing God of His glory and we're robbing our brothers and sisters of what it is that they may deserve. Now it goes on, you know, in that verse 10 where it said, nor drunkards, and I had to to get my brain wrapped around that concerning my mother. Because it wasn't that my mother would just happen to be drunk one time in her life and 
caught walking down the road by a young man that was racing up to the McDonald's to turn off the alarm because an alarm had gone off at 2 o'clock in the morning and just happened by chance one time in her life that she was walking down a dark, curvy road behind McDonald's and got met with a Corvette in the middle of the night. No, she had been drunk several times that week and the week before and the month before and the year before and would have continued being drunk in the months after. She was a drunkard and she met her fate on a road. And every opportunity that she ever would have had to be rescued from that was snatched from her on that road. And I understand the truths of what the Word of God is telling me that I will not see my mother in heaven. A lot of people say, oh, you, you're not, you're not, make that judgment. You can't make that call. Well, listen, I'm telling you that God has given us the light, given us the understanding, given us the resources in Scripture to understand what it is that He expects from us. Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him and keepeth not His commandments, but do these things that are written here. You know, in Galatians, it gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Nine flavors, one fruit. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And certainly, they are how we know that we are His because those characteristics, those likenesses of Christ are made evident in our lives on a habitual lifestyle. Other people follow you around. They don't have to take long before they continuously see these things being played out and acted out in your life. Well, the same thing is true on the flip side. These are not the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the flesh. And right after the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, you find those fruit of the flesh as well as here in Corinthians, where it says, the unrighteous shall not Inherit the kingdom of God. And those that are unrighteous are living a lifestyle of fornication, idolatry. See, it's not just drunkenness. And it's kind of like, you know, one of the things that have always amazed me is when you hold the pastor's feet to the fire and the, the people in the church are grilling him about whether they want to call him as a, as a pastor or not. They hold him to the, to the one standard of have you ever been married before? And there are at least six other standards that he's supposed to be hospitable and that he's supposed to have all of these characteristics. Never ever any of those are looked at. Only one is the standard that people hold and then they don't even get the right standard out of that. They misinterpret that scripture. Well, I want you to realize that this is not just about drunkards, but it is about fornicators people who have sex outside of their marriage relationship and it doesn't have to be pertaining to other people involved. Abusers with themselves of mankind, that's homosexual partners. Thieves, covetous, drunkenness, revilers, extortioners, and these people shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Boy, I love that. You see, Paul just snatches defeat out of the jaws of victory. No, he snatches victory 
out of the jaws of defeat and says just because we have been involved in those things in the past, that by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are not those things anymore. Some people will tell you, well, once a drunk, always. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Is that what the Bible says? No. It says such were some of you. What I used to be in my lost life is not what I am today. God has changed me from the inside out. I'll never be the same as I used to be. God has changed not only my heart, but through changing my heart, God changed my mind. Through changing my mind, God changed my activities and the way I live. I will never habitually live that life of sinfulness ever again. Such were some of you, but you are washed, sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. In other words, there's nothing that I cannot taste, test, touch, or be involved in that is not illegal in the law of the land today that God says that I'm allowed to do. But just because things are legal to me in the eyes of God does not mean that they are expedient. Just because you can do something does not mean that you should. Is it... A sin for me to drink a glass of wine with a steak to celebrate my anniversary with my wife? No, not at all. If somebody walks in that has been an alcoholic in the past and sees their pastor drinking a glass of wine, and then they say, oh, well, the pastor's doing it. Maybe I can get away with it too. And they go back and they go back to their alcoholism. Have I sinned by drinking that glass of wine? Absolutely. The Bible says that it's a sin to cause thy brother to stumble. So is my glass of wine more important to me than my brother's soul? Is the question that it comes down to? And the answer again is a resounding, No, all things are legal to me, but all things are not expedient. And I will not be brought under the power or authority of any of those things of the flesh of the world in order that I might live a life that brings glory and honor to God and be... Um, well, beneficial to my brother rather than a deterrent. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats and God shall destroy it and them. God's going to destroy both the belly and meats if my belly is more important to me than my brother. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord And will also raise up us by His power. Now I know that one day the resurrection is going to take place. And that the dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But I don't believe that only the resurrection at the end time is being spoken here. Where Paul says, And God hath raised up both the Lord and will also raise up us. By His own power. That means raising us up above our own power and ability. In the power of Jesus Christ to overcome the things of the flesh. That I don't have to be brought under the power of anything in this life. Not alcohol or food or sex or anything else that is tempting to the flesh of man. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not 
that he which is joined to a harlot is one body. For the two, saith he, shall be made one flesh. Now I'm telling you that if you step outside of your intimate love, marriage, holy relationship with your wife or with your husband and join yourself together with a harlot, whether it be a female or a male, you are stepping outside of the relationship, that bondage of Mary, and you are making yourself one with a person that is of the world. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You're one flesh, you're one body with that person, but you're one spirit with the Lord. Therefore flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. And he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not? And it's these three verses, 18, 19, and 20, that I've been studying on, really, for the week. And I want, to, I want to sit here for just a minute. I know I've burnt so much of my time. But this is important. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Therefore flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without his body, outside of the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Now we talked about this last week, that this building is not the temple of God. The temple of God are the people that are in here in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. We come to this building to worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us that makes us the very temple of God. And when we are joined together by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the on the cross, then the Holy Spirit of God comes to live on the inside of me and I become the very tabernacle, the very temple of God. And everything I do, everywhere I go, everything I watch, everything I say, I make Him an unseen partner with what it is, the activities that I'm doing. He becomes a part of that. Now again, it says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. I don't think there is a handful of people in this world, much less in this church, that really believe that. That we are not our own. Certainly I'm my own. I can go where I want to. I can be what I want to be. I can say what I want to say. I can live the life that I want to live. I am my own person. But the Bible of course says that no man is an island. Now that is a different sense of the word that is being used here. When it says you are not your own. Certainly you're not living your life under yourself. You're living your life on, on the stage. Not only in front of a one man audience. Which we are. But ultimately in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately in front of the whole world. We are not just our own. It is not just about me. It is not just about you. Certainly it's not just about this godless system and godless world that we're living in. But ultimately it's mostly about 
God and His glory and His honor. And I am not my own. Now it says in verse 20, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You see, we are not our own. We are His. We are not our own. We belong to another. Just like in this marriage relationship that I have with my sweetheart sitting there on that front pew. I am not my own. I belong to someone. And I need to live a life that reflects that. I'm sure she would appreciate it. How much more would God appreciate those who are His? You are not your own is what verse 19 says. Boy, I like just that simple statement. The way Paul lays it out there, right? He just throws it out there like everybody everybody should know that. Know you not that you're not your own? You're bought with a price more precious than silver and gold? That God gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed His blood, and died for your sins to purchase you back from the slave block of sin? He didn't add all of that. He just simply said, you are not your own. And you know that you're not your own if you have been purchased with that price of blood, the blood of God that was shed on the cross for our sins. Certainly, if we are His, then we know we are not our own. And that is what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth with all of the problems, with all of the things that are going wrong on the inside of this church. If the Holy Spirit of God is living on the inside of you, then you understand that you're not your own. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you can get away with what it is that you're, you're thinking you can get away with? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God which is in you and everything that you are doing, you are taking God into everything that you watch, everything that you say, everything that you do. You are bringing God into it with you which is in you, which you have of God. God placed it there, and you are not your own. Simple statement. But then he says there's a, there's a very plain consequence to that simple statement. You are not your own. You are bought. You are bought. Now we understand in the South what being bought is all about. There was a time right here in Louisiana, where men and women were bought for a price. They were sold as a piece of property to other men. And yes, there were white men that purchased black men. There were black men that had purchased white men. There are black men that had purchased black men and white men that had purchased white men. And I'm telling you, all of that was sin. All of that was what we needed to be purchased out of you understand the mercantile uh, display. Uh, I, I remember somebody in, in an economics class, uh, the teacher. He, he walked into the classroom and he stepped up in the chair, and then he stepped up on his desk, and he looked at the students at the college, and he said, "What is the first law of economics?" And everybody just stared back at him because they knew. 
he had a cut and dried answer and they were going to get it wrong if they opened their mouth. And he stood there long enough for it to weigh on them. And then he said, the first law of economics is, and I'm sure Paul knows it, you've got to work above everything else. When debt comes and you owe a price, you better have something to pay the debt with. The first law of economics of, of this, this materialistic barter system that we have is that you better be prepared to pay your debt. My friend, we are inadequate. We are unprepared to pay our debt. And what we realize is, is that know you not that you are not your own that you have been bought, how was I bought? Well, because I owed a debt I could not pay. And Christ paid a debt He did not owe. And when He paid the debt He did not owe, He not only purchased the debt, but He purchased the debtor. He purchased me. He bought me back from the slave block of sin. And therefore, I became the very possession of God. It was not a sinful transaction. The way we as humans used to barter for other human beings. But this is holy God. Isn't it something that the debtor, the, the dead E pays his own debt to himself, and what he pays with is himself. Did you get that? I owe you a price. You pay my price for me. And you pay my price with yourself. I owe a man money. I walk into a store, see a little boy. His mama gave him some money for some ice cream. And he says, I want, a, I want an ice cream cone. Two scoops, please. The lady fixes him an ice cream cone and hands it to him. And she says, that'll be $2. He looks in his pocket and he pulls out his money and he's only got one dollar. He says, my mom only gave me one dollar. And yet he's licking on his ice cream. <laughs> I'm standing behind him in line. What do I do? Well, I do what everybody else would do. I reach into my pocket and I pull out a dollar. And I pay what was lacking in his ability to pay. Now, the, does the lady have to take my dollar? Well, sure she does. Because she doesn't care where the dollar comes from as long as the debt is paid. But let me say, the same little boy walked into the same ice cream parlor and he looked around and there wasn't anybody there. So he slips around the counter and he makes his own ice cream cone. And then he runs out the front and starts making it towards the door, licking his ice cream cone. And the same lady that would have served him the ice cream catches him by the scruff of the neck and says, Where are you going? And she calls the police. I'm standing there. I see the same thing. The police show up and I say, Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, listen. Grace, mercy... He's young. I'll pay the debt. 
Now, is the police officer obligated to take my $2? No. Why? Because the first was a moral problem. Now there's a judicial problem. He broke the law. The first was an accident. It wasn't intentional. It was immoral that he asked for the ice cream cone before he found out what it was going to cost him. It was certainly immoral for him to keep licking it after he found out that he didn't have enough money to pay for it. But you see, it wasn't the judicial. And you see, what happens with God is that God becomes not only just, but the justifier of those who are criminally guilty before God. And God the Father accepts the price that was paid. But He doesn't just take $2 out of the purse of Jesus. He takes two pounds of flesh. And He sheds His blood and He dies. Because the wage of sin is death. It's not two bucks. What the Bible says here in verse 20, 19 and 20, Know you not that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. You are bought. You are bought. And then it says, with a price. And the price tells you the value of the purchase. If we do not, as God's children, understand the transaction that was made for our souls, then we must question whether we are His children or not. We've got to look deep into our, not our own hearts, because the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But we've got to look deep into our own outward activities, our lifestyle. Remember the first bunch of verses that I said, you know, if you're a drunkard, if you're this or you're that, or if you're living a habitual lifestyle. Well, we will not be living that habitual lifestyle. I put something on Facebook again yesterday, day before yesterday, that says that if, if we if we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and Christ becomes our Savior, then immediately the people around us are going to recognize the Spirit of God living on the inside of us and the change that it brings into our life. Can people look at you and see Christ? Are you living a life not just on Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday nights, Thursdays, are we being faithful to God the way we would be if we were actually purchased by some man that demanded from us our slavery? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for what You were willing to do. God, not just reach into Your purse strings, though You have the camels of a thousand hills and the thousand hills under them, you don't have a cash flow problem. But God, that you reached into your heart 
And you ripped it out of your chest and put it on display. Jesus paid the price physically in anguish and torment. You paid the price in heartache, brokenness. God help us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves, God, to place ourselves on the altar of sacrifice, God, that we might be pleasing to you in the way that your son was. God, in the way that he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. God, we'll give you the praise and the glory for that. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.